Thanks, Hud. If you want to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, we're continuing on there with our series. But I want to ask you, as we begin, how good are you at estimating numbers? Are you good? Are you not? I think generally people are bad at estimating numbers. Are there some particular cases when we're bad at estimating numbers? I'm particularly bad at estimating how much I can do in five minutes. Uh, Very optimistic. Uh, And I think uh, one of of my favourite lines in a song that plays on this is a song by the the Whitlams, uh, where Tim Friedman, he, he sings, She was one in a million. So there's five more just in New South Wales. That's his line. And it's playing on the fact that sometimes we think things are really rare and actually, well, it's not not maybe as rare as we initially thought. Uh, Some things happen more frequently than you would expect. And it's not just finding the perfect woman that uh, apparently... uh, there's, there's uh, six of them in New South Wales. It's probably even more now than there was when he was writing. Uh, but there's other, things that, there's other things that happen more often than we expect. Like, what are the odds about discovering a new species of animal? Well, according to research that was done a couple of years ago, pretty good. Uh, because we've discovered only about, uh, I think it was only about 15% of the animals that live on land and so far we've been able to name and label them and and describe them and only less than 10 percent of all the animals that live in the ocean uh, so there's a lot of animals out there to discover um, they're probably mostly microscopic uh, but it's still maybe more much more possible than you thought uh, this is a recently discovered turtle um, that's why you're looking at that weird picture uh, some things that you think are rare actually are quite common, like being colorblind. Statistically, one in 12 men are colorblind. It's not, it's not that uncommon. It's, you say, the seeing a shooting star is rare. Uh, but apparently, if you sat out on a clear night, you should see one every 15 minutes. Uh, shooting stars are relatively consistent you should see them all the time lunar eclipses we had a big fuss last week because there was a really nice one that happened and you can see it particularly in western australia it was the best place in the world to see it but we we get some sort of eclipse every 18 months it's not like you have to you only get them once in a lifetime they come regularly some things are statistically more common than you expect Oh, and the last one, having, not having a birthday. What are the odds of dying on your birthday? Maybe some morbid statistic to investigate. Apparently, people are 14% more likely to die on their birthday than any other day. You can, you can maybe think through why that's the case, the <laughs> candles and the excitement. And, uh, but that's you're more likely to die on your birthday. So sometimes we, sometimes we underestimate how common something is. Uh, but sometimes we also we go the other way, don't we? We overestimate how common 
something is. Uh, getting your tax, your tax audited. Uh, apparently, I couldn't find the Australian statistics, but in America, it was very, very rare. Uh, it was something like uh, less than one in a thousand people gets their tax audited. Very rare. Um, of course, winning the lotto. Uh, people keep buying lottery tickets with the expectation, with the hope that they're going to win. They're expecting it to come up, but statistically, it's about as close to impossible as you can get. Um, well, maybe not impossible, but it's so unlikely that you are guaranteed to lose money buying lottery tickets over time. I can go take you through the math later. If you're curious, please don't do it. It's a waste of money. Uh, and then there's a whole other gambling aspect and trusting God. Uh, motivation behind it. But people will sometimes think it's more likely than it actually is. Here's an interesting one. Surviving, uh, having CPR to help you survive. Of all the people that have CPR, not many of them survive. Even in a hospital, if you receive CPR in a hospital, only a quarter of people receiving CPR survive. Sometimes we think it's just the kind of thing, they do it all the time on TV and we do it and immediately they start breathing and heart starts pumping again and happens all the time. No, it's the other way around. It's, it's unlikely if you receive CPR that... And why am I talking about all these statistics? Uh, well, it's not just that we're bad at estimating numbers in general. Uh, this is an important part of our thinking about God and about ourselves before God. And we fall into the trap, human beings fall into the trap of overestimating how impressive we are to God. We fall into the trap of thinking that there's way more people that God is pleased with than there actually are. We default to thinking, uh, so many people as individuals default to thinking that God thinks I'm pretty good. He's pretty pleased. Well, as we read Romans today, there's a wake-up call for our statistical thinking that we all need to hear. So would you turn with me to Romans 3? As we read, and Paul's continuing on his argument here, particularly trying to undermine, undermine the objections people are coming up with to his argument that God's judgment is coming, and that's a problem for everyone. It's a problem even for Jews, that's a problem. So he continues the argument, we're at chapter 3, verse 9. And he says, what, what shall we conclude then? Do we, as in the Jews, do we have any advantage? Not at all, he says. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one 
who does good. Not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Sober words from Paul. What's the statistical analysis? Of all the people that have lived, how many have come up with the stamp of approval from God? How many have been pronounced righteous by what they've done? Uh, well, this analysis, Paul says, there is no one, not even one. Now, he's following on. He's trying to undermine the objections that people have been raise, raising up, particularly people have been saying, or he's imagining people saying, what about the Jews? What about the advantages that they have, that being chosen by God, being given this special covenant relationship, being given the law, being given the sign of circumcision, all these things that, that were meant to set them apart? And Paul has said, yes, they did have advantages, but what does it amount to? What advantage do they have when it comes to God's judgment? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, Paul says. We're all on the same playing field. In God's sight, how many are righteous? None. No one righteous, not even one. And then he goes on and he lists in a row a whole lot of texts, verses from the Old Testament. Now, if you're reading on the screen, you wouldn't have noticed, but in your, if you're reading in the paper Bible, I hope you would have seen you've got them listed out with little footnotes that tell you where they're from. Some Bibles maybe put them in bold. Most of them come from the book of Psalms, uh, with one from Ecclesiastes and one from the prophet Isaiah. And they're all describing this problem of sin in, in different parts of life. Sometimes it's talking about God's enemies, those who are naturally not part of his chosen people. But sometimes it's talking about people in general. And sometimes it is the problem with his own people. Here, Paul is he's bringing together his, his argument to a conclusion that Jews don't get out of it, don't get special consideration when it comes to God's righteousness, they're in the same boat. And he's pointing them back, the Old Testament scriptures say this. This is something you should already have been aware of if you were a Jewish reader of the Old Testament. There is no one righteous. No one gets the tick of approval. No one deserves God's favour. Not even one. Now Paul, he says this pretty clearly, repetitively says no one. He says all have turned away. But he just, in describing using these different verses, the character of it, it's pretty grim, isn't it? And we could add more to this. We could add... From Genesis 6, we read earlier, human race as a whole. God saw that the inclinations of their hearts was only evil all the time. 
messy. It's ugly. Often we just, we look on the bright side, don't we? We focus on the positives and we say, oh, there's good things humans are doing. And it looks nice. You see the example of someone helping each other, someone being sacrificial, someone showing kindness, someone being loving. And we do, we see that lots. But sometimes we just, we just glimpse those and we project out, that's all of it. That's the total. And we assume that God sees as we see. Paul doesn't want any of his readers to misunderstand. In God's judgment, no one is righteous. And he describes their... He describes sin in their lives. There's a couple of verses that talk about the sin of speech and the way that mouths are used for cursing, speaking bitterness, deceiving. The poison of vipers is on their lips. It's a pretty strong image, isn't it? And there's some that describe the violence and the, the carnage that sin brings in relationships. His feet being swift to shed blood and the ruin and misery that's left behind. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know we don't see all of this in every person all the time, but it is a true description of the human race, isn't it? As we look through history, what is our legacy as a race? Well, we've seen people who have not told the truth. We see people who have used violence to engage with each other. We see for so many people across the world, their experience is marked by ruin and misery. That's normal human experience in our stable uh, nice part of the world sometimes easy to forget that isn't it we just focus on the good things that surround us things we enjoy but the world is not like that at a whole and it's definitely it's not like that throughout history at every time Paul doesn't want people to be confused. No one is righteous. Uh, in, in Genesis, there's this story where the Lord is speaking with Abraham. It's in Genesis 18. And he's speaking ab about the coming judgment on the city of Sodom. And there's this, there's this interesting exchange that happens where Abraham talks to God and he says, God, are you going to destroy it? What about if there's, there's righteous people in there? What about if there was 50 righteous people there? Would you destroy the city? And God says, no, I wouldn't. For the sake of the 50 righteous people, I would hold back. And then Abraham says, what about if there's only 45? And God says, no, I'll relent. And he, he keeps going. 
and whittling it down. And eventually he gets down, he goes as far as 10. What if there was 10, just 10 righteous people there? Would you still destroy it? Would they be swept up in the destruction? And God says, no, I would would relent. I would hold off. And it's interesting in the context of what we see come next, when Lot, Abraham's nephew and his family are are warned and they flee, Lot and his wife and their two daughters. But then the city is destroyed. And what's the implication after this exchange with Abraham that God would relent if there was just 10 righteous people there and four people are warned and and leave? And then God destroys it. The implication is that there was no one, isn't there? There's no one there that God approved of, that God would say, actually, I'm going to hold off and wait. There wasn't 10 righteous people to be found there. It's easy for us to overestimate our goodness in God's sight easy to fall into that and we have to take a good real look at ourselves and ask are we making this mistake am i assuming that i am good enough that i will meet god's standards that when it comes to god's judgment that i'm going to pass is that the way you think about yourself You look at your life and with pride, see there's things that I would, I would hold this up. Yeah, God's going to look at me and go, yeah. We can get validation from other people, can't we? If other people look on us, approve us. Maybe if we're part of certain groups that gives us status. Sometimes that can lead us to thinking we're in a different league. I belong to the people who uh, signed up as organ donors. That's, that's going to set me apart. I belong to the people who give 10% of their income. I belong to the elite group that got an invite to the coronation. Like I'm, I'm a class above. It's easy to think like that. It's easy to fall into the traps. It's easy to think about particular people and what they do and imagine that God sees them as special. But when it comes to the final judgment, when it comes to righteousness, no one meets that criteria. No matter how many organs you've donated, and how many coronations you've been invited to, No one. We need to to grip this for ourselves as a reality. And we need to grip this for our society at large, I think. Sometimes I, I still get surprised when people, when other people are surprised by sin. It's like second degree surprise. I... When the Bible talks to us like this and tells us that everyone is sinful, this means there's a part of me that expects 
everyone to act sinfully. It expects no one to live up to what's good. There's a part of me that whenever, if I hear something going wrong, someone doing something evil, and it's whether it's in the news or whether it's just in personal circles, often I'm horrified by the way that it happens and the pain and suffering that's caused, but I'm not surprised. Sometimes other people are really surprised. And I feel like, what did you expect? This is what God tells us people are like. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way. We ought not to be surprised, I think, by sin. When we hear about it in the news or know someone, we also ought not to be surprised when we find it in ourselves. When we see our own sin. Sometimes people get caught up and they have a moment where they just wake up and realize what they're doing and it's, it seems to catch them by surprise sometimes. And this happens to, to both non-Christians and Christians. I remember I've had almost the exact same conversation uh, with two men about sexual immorality. And both were telling me about how they'd been caught up in it. And both, both of them were kind of like surprised that it had happened. And maybe that makes sense for the non-Christian who generally has a doesn't understand sin like the Bible understands sin, like God understands sin. But for the Christian, I thought, why are you surprised? Is it because of your pride you saw yourself in a different category, someone who wasn't a sinner, who wasn't that bad? Are we ought to be people who aren't surprised by sin? We shouldn't be scandalized when we hear about it. We ought to be people who, without being too morbid, but who expect sin in ourselves and in each other. And that's, I think that's really important for us as a church community. We don't expect each other to be righteous in God's sight. We expect each other to be sinners. There should be an openness towards each other as sinners. In order that sinners feel welcome amongst us. Because that's all of us, isn't it? We want to be able to welcome the new person who is a sinner. We want to be able to welcome each other and care for each other even when we fail and fall into sin without being surprised and scandalized. It'd be, it'd be terrible, wouldn't it, if someone has, has realized that they've come to the point of recognizing their sin and wants, needs to confess it to a brother, but is worried about how we're going to react. Are we going to fall down in shock and not be able to handle it because someone has sinned? 
we ought not to overestimate our goodness, our natural worthiness before God. We ought to recognise what Paul tells us here, that no one is up to God's standard. However, in our poor estimation of things, in our reorienting our calculations, we also ought not to underestimate God's kindness towards sinners in thinking of ourselves as great and righteous, we can fall into the same trap of thinking about God as standoffish and unsympathetic and uncompassionate towards us in our failure. But he's not. As great as our sin is, his mercy is more, as we sometimes sing. Because even though there is no one righteous, as the Old Testament sums up, in God's sight, as he looks out across humanity, no one meets that mark. And God himself is righteous. And God himself came as a man. And that righteous one came not just to tell us off for doing the wrong thing, What did he come to do? He came to save sinners. Hear this from Mark 2. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him, that's Jesus, eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. As we are clear in our own unrighteousness, we also need to be clear in understanding the God who makes salvation available to the unrighteous, to sinners. Jesus came to be with sinners, came to teach sinners, came to call sinners to repentance, came to give his life as a ransom for sinners. So we ought not to underestimate our sin, our failure before God. so that we also don't underestimate the riches of his grace. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you for your word that says clearly about our state before you. All of us sinners, no one righteous of our own accord. Please help us to have a good grip of that. to expect us not to be righteous in ourselves, not to be righteous as a, as a family, church family, not to be righteous as a society, 
I was not to be surprised by something. But in our real estimation of ourselves, please help us to appreciate the the riches, the depths of your mercy towards us as sinners. To better appreciate the gift of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.